welcome back. I'm Olivia, and this is Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. And before we get into this episode real quick, I wanted to give a heads up that there will be a short pause soon. So we'll have this episode, and then we'll have one more in a couple of weeks. That one's going to be our Halloween episode with some spooky fun. And then we'll just be taking a short break for a couple of weeks. I will be traveling, and then the next week there's going to be some busyness after I get back. So it'll probably be, I don't know, a week or two after I get back from traveling to get to the next episode. So I'm figuring it'll probably end up being, I don't know, about a month-long break. So we'll have this episode, one more, and then break time. And... Yeah, I think that's it. I don't I won't have any cocoa noises to bribe you with today, but uh we might have a cat related episode after we get back cuz it will be Coco's birthday about then. So, I don't know. We'll see. But for this week's episode, we have jellyfish. Jellyfish are known for a few things, but one of them is their lack of a centralized organized brain. So then cue the excitement when a paper was published just this last week, uh, I think it was something like September 21st or something like that, in Current Biology by Bialecki and colleagues, where they found that the Caribbean box jellyfish is capable of associative learning. And that's the same type of learning I used to train my cat to give me high fives. So this is also a type of learning that has long been thought to require some sort of advanced centralized brain, and yet here we have some jellyfish with a mere net of nerves distributed throughout their body learning. Let's dive into it. So the star of this paper is the Caribbean box jellyfish, Tripedalia cystophora. This is a different box jellyfish than the ones around Australia known for their deadly stings, And from what I have read, the Caribbean box jellyfish is a little bit safer in its sting. It's not going to, like, kill you in a couple of minutes, um, which is good. So, in fact, there are a whole class of box jellyfish within the Nadarian phylum called the Cubozoans. And there are species of Cubozoans distributed in the tropics and subtropics throughout the entire world. So, Cubozoans are all referred to as box jellies, and are named for, surprise, their square, boxy-shaped bells. So their tentacles then come from the four lower corners of their bell, which helps to then emphasize their their distinctive boxy shape. Other than their distinctive shape, box jellies are different from other jellies in one other really cool way. They actually have a bit more complex nervous system than other jellyfish which helps them to do things like move a little bit faster and have a couple initial or a couple additional complex behaviors. So think like something reasonably basic feeling like object avoidance. So being a jellyfish, they have nerve cells distributed throughout the entire bell. So that's the top half that is not tentacle, but they also have a nerve ring at the base of their bell And this helps to play a role in controlling their swimming and coordinating their swimming pulses. One of the hallmarks of their more complex nervous systems are their eye structures called ropalia. 
The Ropalia are pretty specialized structures and at least for a jellyfish are reasonably advanced eyes that actually do allow them to form images along with the fairly typical light and dark detection that we would be familiar with in other jellies. So box jellyfish have four Ropalia attached to their nerve ring and then each Ropalia has a total of six lenses. Their upper lens points up and these help to them to navigate around their habitat, which in the case of the Caribbean box jellyfish is typically going to be around mangrove lagoons. And then the lower lens typically helps with object avoidance. So these two together are going to be looking at things to be like, hey, there's a mangrove root up ahead. Maybe we should avoid it. So then in addition, they have two what are referred to as pit eyes that act as a light meter. So these can detect light and dark, so helping with shadows and how much light is available in a given environment. And then two slit eyes that are going to help detect vertical movement. So this could be key in helping them know where they are in space and how much, you know, up they need to move and things like that. So again, total, each Ropalia has six eyes, making for 24 total eyes. And that is a lot of, that's a good many eyeballs, which I guess technically they're not necessarily like eyeballs like we have, but still it's a lot of eyes. They also have a structure in the Ropalia that acts as a gyroscope called the Statolith. And this helps to keep their eyes oriented vertically all the time, no matter how the jellyfish is oriented in the water column. What's also interesting about these Ropalia, not just that they are complex enough to help the jellyfish form images, is that even though they are all connected to the nerve ring, each Ropalia independently processes the information. So each Ropalia has a cluster of about 1,000 nerves that individually processes the information. As far as we can tell, the Ropalia don't share the information with each other and then process it process that information centrally like an organism with a centralized brain like we do would. It's just each Ropelia takes the information, processes it, processes it, and then from there some decision is made, behavior is modified, and apparently learning can still happen. So why did we think these jellyfish could be learning in the first place in order to trigger this study? And Really, one of the things that researchers have been attempting to do, along with just, you know, learning what things can learn, in this case, learning that jellyfish can learn, um, if we can identify learning far enough back in the, essentially, the evolutionary tree, then we can figure out if learning is just a basic thing of, like, life, like complex learning like this, or if there is a key point where advanced learning stages have just, like, shown up. But with the jellyfish, why would we think a jellyfish can learn? They have no brain, so why would we do the study in the first place? Uh, so the Caribbean box jellyfish lives among mangrove roots. But if they bump into the mangrove roots, they risk damaging their bell. And for a jellyfish, a damaged bell can be a death sentence because they're not going to be able to swim quite right. So the jellyfish is going to want to avoid bumping into the roots at all costs as often as it can. So this would mean that the jellyfish is going to need to be able to avoid colliding with the mangrove roots. They 
sure they would be able to do some simple object avoidance, see a root coming up, turn around, whatever. And if the water clarity was always the same, always super clear all the time, that would make for a reasonably straightforward response to the stimulus. But alas, it is not. Particularly in mangrove forests, the water can get murky with many different uh, parameters or to many different reasons. The water can get more murky with changes in the tide. If there's an increase in rainfall, that can cause some runoff to cause some increased dirt in the area. Algal blooms can make the water a bit more green. Storm activity can kick up sediments. Uh, there's plenty of things. So why does this matter? So if you're in clear water and you see a low contrast thing, then that's going to be pretty far away. But if you're in super murky water and you see a low contrast thing, then it's probably pretty close and you needed to move yesterday in order to avoid bumping into it. So because of this, the, the jellyfish can't just always rely on their ability to see the thing in time to avoid it. They need to have some idea of knowing where these things are. Um, so in order to do that, they would have to learn in some way, shape, or form. Now, with jellyfish, in order to figure out if it can learn or not, or at least do associative learning or not, you, you can't really train it to give you a high five. And depending on the jellyfish, you really wouldn't want to. Um, so how do you go about figuring out if a jellyfish can learn through associative learning conditioning processes? What the researchers did is they had three different buckets. A bucket with no stripes, and that's going to act as a control. A bucket with, so with the control that's going to be seeing if the jellyfish are just like, oh, there's some sort of wall here, we're just going to avoid the wall or whatever. Um, a bucket with gray and right uh, vertical stripes, and that's going to mimic a low contrast situation in nature. So um, murky water, roots are going to be quite close. And then a bucket with black and white vertical stripes, and that's going to mimic mangrove roots in a clear water situation. And what they found in their experiments is pretty interesting. Even in the murky bucket, um, they were kind of surprised to see how quickly the behavior of the jellyfish changed. The number of collisions with the walls of the bucket declined in less than eight minutes, and even they were saying in about seven and a half minutes, and the jellyfish also increased the distance they kept from the walls. So then you might be going, okay, they just figured out where the safe swimming zone is in the bucket, nothing to do with the simulation of the roots and learning. But interestingly, in the bucket with no stripes, there was no observable change in behavior. The jellyfish continued to collide with the walls of the bucket with similar frequency, and we think this could be because since th th there were no stripes. So because there were no stripes, there was no visual stimuli to make them go, hey, there's something there, maybe we shouldn't run into it. Um, so in however the jellyfish were processing the situation, it seemed to just be like that. The, uh, there's no roots, nothing to avoid. So kind of like flies running into your window, the jellyfish just thought they were probably thought they were bumping into some invisible force field. In the buckets with the stripes, they had some visual cue, so the jellyfish could go in however they process this. 
hey, that route is actually apparently pretty close. This must be a murky water day. We're going to back off a little bit, so we're not bumping into it quite as much. Uh, what the researchers think is happening is that the jellyfish learn to associate um, a low contrast thing, so in this case a root in murky water, with an increased risk of collision. And this would be an example of what we would call operant conditioning. Something prior to this paper was only observed in animals with more, comple with more complex brains like vertebrates and some mollusks, so think like octopodes, as well as some arthropods. So like things like, um, like bees are known to learn pretty well, bees and wasps, ants are also pretty smart. There's a lot of really smart arthropod guys out there. Um, and anyways, one thing that all of those things have in common is that there are some centralized brain processing area. Jellyfish don't have a centralized brain processing area, so this is really the first time we've recorded this in something that has as um, spread out of a nervous system as the jellyfish do. So operant conditioning is a method of learning using either rewards or punishment to change behavior. A reward system would be like how lab rats are trained to operate levers to get a reward, or how I trained my cat to give me high fives. That would also be a good example. So she did the high five, she got a treat afterwards, and that encourages the behavior. With a punishment situation, think like if you uh, raised your hand in class, um, you gave the wrong answer, that would kind of be like a punishment situation, and depending on how your teacher responded to that, you might be less likely to raise your hand in the future. So with the instance of the jellyfish, it's kind of both a punishment and reward reinforced behavior. They see the murky mangrove root, accidentally bump into it, and that would be considered a punishment since they don't want that to happen again, so they will learn to avoid it. As they increase the distance from the mangrove roots in order to avoid them, that behavior is going to be rewarded by no longer bumping into the mangrove roots. No bump is good for them, as that means less risk of damage, so that is going to reinforce that behavior. So this might sound kind of similar to another kind of classical conditioning that you may be familiar with called classical conditioning. This is the kind of conditioning in the Pavlov's dog experiment where he trained his dogs to salivate at the sound of a bell or a whistle at the sound of something. Um, while they do have their similarities, classical and operant conditioning are different. And the big difference is the kind of behavior that's being taught. With classical conditioning, you're typically pairing an involuntary response to the stimulus. So with, Pavlov, with Pavlov's dogs, the dogs don't have to think about salivating, it really just happens. With operant conditioning, it reinforces some sort of voluntary behavior, so there's more conscious thought and decision-making behind it, and it's reinforced with either a reward or a consequence. So once my cat Coco successfully decided to give me the high five, that's when she got the retreat, and then that's going to reinforce the high five, and she has been more likely to do that later. So with a jellyfish, they avoid the mangrove roots, they're like, hooray, we haven't gone damaged, and that's going to help to reinforce it. Again, this study was pretty exciting for a couple of reasons. Um, one of them being that this is the, to repeat, the first confirmed instance of a type of associative learning 
in response to a natural stimulus in jellyfish especially, but also for sure nadarians. There have been some studies in sea anemones trying to look at associative learning situations, but sea anemones can be kind of tricky um, to analyze in this sort of thing because they don't really have as many super distinct behaviors to test as jellyfish do, and that's because they are a sessile thing. Um, it's not like they can really get up and run away. They do have some protective behaviors, but it's not quite as a clear cut and dry situation. Like you can't measure how many times they avoided running into something, for example. Um, so now the challenge is going to be figuring out exactly how the jellyfish are learning, how they're processing all this information and adjusting their behavior because of it. So since or because of the way box jellyfish are, it does appear that the ropalia are the processing sensors of the jellyfish or the processing centers of the jellyfish. So that's going to be where the visual information is being processed and then behavior is adjusted accordingly. But we don't know exactly how this happens or even if the or if the four ropalia coordinate with each other at all since there's no central point in the jellyfish. So like with our eyes, each of our eyes take in light, sends that information to the brain, and our brain makes pretty pictures for us to see. Um, with jellyfish, it seems to just be happening in the ropalia, and yet they're still learning, and they have four ropalia. So how is this happening? How is this learning being coordinated? We don't know yet. Um, after reading this paper, I kind of like to think that maybe just the whole bell of the jellyfish is just a big swimming brain, um, but I am not a neurobiologist. I really don't know how brains work. Um, and it's just going to be one of those things where researchers are going to have to figure it out. I do think it'd be funny if I was right and jellyfish are just a swimming water brain, but we'll find out. Um, so yeah, that's what I have for you today on jellyfish learning. I always like when these studies come out of some animal, like learning the cap the learning capabilities of other animals and just learning what they know and what they can do. For a very long time, at least in Western societies, we really underestimated the intelligence of almost every animal in nature. So finding out what other animals know and what they can learn, despite having entirely different nervous systems from our own, is always really cool, super interesting. And especially in this case, without having a centralized brain, a little bit quirky. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone in your life that needs to learn a bit about jellyfish and the fact that they can learn things, which we all know is everybody, share this podcast with your friends. They can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to subscribe, follow, however that works on your preferred podcast carrier um, so you can be notified of future episodes and leave a review. Those are all great ways to support this podcast and help new people find us. If you are on Facebook or Instagram, be sure to give us a follow at Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky on Facebook and quirky, creepy, freaky pod on Instagram to get all the pictures and updates on the podcast. Um, you can also email me if you have an idea of something you want to hear about on the podcast. Um, you can send that to me at quirky, creepy, freaky pod at gmail.com. 
And thanks to my sister, Kaylee Streit, for creating the theme music for my podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Well, I guess not next week. We'll see you in two weeks.